Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm so thankful that He's brought us here. I'm so thankful for everybody in my home that comes and listens to Gospel Saving Church and listens to me preach every single Sunday. We don't miss hardly one unless I'm on vacation. But praise be to God. He's got us here again this Sunday. Beautiful Sunday in August. Nice rainy day outside. Praise be to God. I want to welcome everybody from SoundCloud coming all over the world, listening to Gospel Saving Church sermons. I want to welcome you. I feel like you're in my home, just like the people that are in my home right now, just like my brothers and sisters in Christ that are in my home right now. So anyway, let's get our service rolling. Uh, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll give the title, and then we'll start reading. So if you guys want to bow your heads with me and join me in a word of prayer, and we'll begin our service and our worship unto the Lord. Lord, King of heaven and earth, Thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for your holy word, Lord. It gives us direction. It gives us life. Lord, uh, you, you by your Holy Spirit give us life, Lord God, but you do that through your word, Lord, because you speak to us through your word. Lord, even if we feel like we're, we're hearing from your Holy Spirit, Lord, we should go to your word and find out if, if what we're hearing is accurate, Lord, because there's, uh, boy, there's so much deception in the world today, and the devil is so crafty. Lord, I, I just pray that... Um, we would learn your character more and learn your words more so that, Lord, when we hear things in our minds, Lord, we would know if it's you or not of you and we would test all the things that we hear by your word, by your written, holy, infallible word. Thank you so much, dear God. Praise you so much, dear God, for your holy word. And thank you that we get to come and study it and I get to preach it every Sunday. Lord, I pray you bless our ears and and bless my mouth. Lord, because you know, Lord, I couldn't stand up here and give this message, Lord, if you didn't give me the ability. So, Lord, I just thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And I thank you for all the guidance and the wisdom that you give us, Lord. And I just pray that we would be receptive to it, Lord. I ask that you bless this message and bless all the hearers. And may they not be hearers only, but may they be doers of your word. And I pray all this and ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 22 and 23. But before we get to our reading, I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. I'm not going to read just yet because I have my recap from last week. Now, normally every week, what I do is, is I recap what I said last week. And so that's what I just kind of like my MO, my mode of operation. So this week, I'm going to recap it just a little bit. And then I feel like God really putting something on my heart to talk about some verses that we spoke about last week. So let me, let me recap what we talked about last week. We, we talked last week about, you know, the disciples. Uh, this, this young boy's father comes to Jesus' nine disciples that weren't on the mountain with him, and they ask him for a, a healing. They ask him, you know, this man asks Jesus' disciples for this healing. You know, could you cast this demon out of my boy? He's got a mute spirit, and all these things happen to him, and, you know, my poor child, and can you do it? And so they couldn't. So Jesus walks into the situation. He rebukes the disciples. Faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I be with you? You know, and then he rebukes the demon and it comes out and you know, so on and so forth. The disciples come to him later and he tells them, it's because you had no faith. If you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. So Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes the demon and then comes and they come to him again and he speaks to them again. 
along those lines of faith and faithfulness and along those lines of what Jesus said that we could do. He said, he says in verse 20 of Matthew 17, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And we talked about this as a good part of our sermon last week. I just wanted to reiterate some of the things that we studied last week. It was in John 14, 12 through 14. I'm going to read it again. Jesus says again in John 14, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So notice again, we talked about this last week. I just really feel a thrust of what, you know, our responsibility here. He says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater than the things that I did, will he do? What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying that all the demons that he cast out, all the healings that he did, the people that he raised from the dead, the blind eyes that he made to see again, the limp arms that he made to grow again, the the people that couldn't walk, the paralyzed people that couldn't walk. What he just said there to the disciples and to us, because he said, he who believes in me, that means anybody, will do these works that I did and greater than these. That means that we can still do these things in Jesus Christ's name today by faith. And in 13, he goes on to say in John 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That, remember the stipulation, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And remember the other stipulation, as long as it be God's will, which we know he's saying here that we can and we will do those things. And he goes on to say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I just feel a thrust to say, listen, don't think just because this was written almost 2,000 years ago, that that's for people back then. That was only for the disciples. That was only for Jesus. We can't do those things now because that's a lie. Jesus said, he who believes in me, he who was anybody, we can do the same things that Jesus did and greater even than he did that we, well, we could be the things that we could do. And you think that's, and it's not alone in Scripture. Mark 16, 14 through 18. Jesus gives the disciples the great commission after his resurrection. It opens up and it says, Later he appeared to the eleven. Remember, Judas had murdered himself as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. There's that again. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So that's our duty. We're supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, according to Jesus. And listen to what he says. He who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I want to show you something that God pointed out to me here. Because there is a terrible belief in our world today There's men of God that have preached this from the pulpit that believe that these healings, these great miracles that Jesus did was only for a dispensation of time when Jesus and the disciples were alive. But I want to show you here how that's unbiblical because of what Jesus says next. Who is his audience here? As Jesus 
came to his disciples as he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. That was verse 14. As he appeared to those who sat at the table. Verse 14. And these, these signs will follow those who believe. Now he's talking to the 12 disciples. He's talking to the 11 disciples about those who will believe. He's not talking about them that they're believing. He's talking about those that will believe. What? Through their words. And these signs will follow those who believe your words, he's saying. In my name, they will cast out demons. They, notice he's not talking to the disciples. They, he wouldn't talk to the disciples speaking they. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He's speaking about people that will preach that the disciples preach to us. The people that the disciples' disciples preach to us. These signs will follow. We will cast out demons. We'll speak with special types of tongues, which you know, we call uh, uh, like a spiritual language now. We could take up servants, we'd drink anything deadly, and they're not gonna, it's not going to hurt us. We could lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These things, Jesus said, will happen to those that believe in his name. Not only is this such an anti-biblical doctrine that I speak of now, where to say that oh, it was only for the disciples, or it was only for Jesus. I mean, today, this very day, 2014, there's this, uh, there's this missionary group. I, I'm, the word is escaping me right now. It's called Gospel for Asia. It's a ministry that's in India. And it's in Asia. It was started by a man named K.P. Yohannan. And he trains up. He has people that train up missionaries. You can provide for them if you want. Gospel save, or, uh, gospelforasia.org. And you can go on there and you can sponsor a minister. You know, sponsor a missionary to go forth. They don't have to work a real job. And they go out to the world and they're in worlds and they preach the gospel. Well, reports come out of there all the time. Them healing the sick by laying their hands on them. Praying for the sick. And the sick are raised to life. These people are doing these miracles right now, 2014. And they've been for, I don't know, 20 or 30 years that this guy's been a minister for Jesus. Okay, These people have been doing this. That's been happening. Me personally, in my faith, since I've been walking with God for the past 14 years, I have been on the streets. I've been in my home. I've been talking with people. I've laid hands on sick people. I've done, I've prayed for people that have been ill. I've prayed for people that have had infirmities, different things wrong with them, and they've recovered. I've prayed for people at my job who have had bad feet and, and cysts or things on their tongues, and God has healed them that same day is where the doctors couldn't do anything. I have laid my hands on people, and they have recovered from their illnesses. Exactly what Jesus spoke about in Mark 16. So my point here is that Christians today don't think at all. Don't let the devil trick you into thinking, wow, those miracles that Jesus did, wow, those were awesome for him and the disciples. But wow, you know, I, I, you know I'm not like him. No, Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do, and greater works than these, you will do as well. Sometimes we may pray for others for a miraculous healing or miracle, and God may say no, because it's just not his will for some reason. We don't know why. But it doesn't matter. He commanded us. He told us that we should do it. 
And we can only know if the things that we pray for, if we want to pray for a healing for somebody, we can only know if it's God's will or if it's not God's will unless we pray for the person or somebody that's in our vicinity and then they do or they don't. If it's not God's will, then he just won't. But that shouldn't stop us from doing what God told us to do. Whether God may say no should not stop us because in his word he tells us that we should pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick, do these supernatural miracles, and it can happen through faith. I'm just not sure why God wanted me to speak on all that this morning, just that little recap in my my, my opening up, but I just know he did. And maybe, I don't know, there's a brother or sister out there that's thinking, you know what, I, I'm praying for some confirmation that I should step out in faith on this you know, doing this kind of thing, I don't know, but there you go, brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you needed to hear that this morning. Jesus said those words and they're for us today. And so if that's you out there and you're praying for some, should I do this? Should I be praying for the sick or whatever? Then yes, you should do it. Praise be to God and expect results. Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you, you should do mighty, mighty, mighty things. All right. So anyway, moving forward to our, our main message for today. Matthew 17, 22, 23. Let's read it and let's move forward to see what God has to say to us today. Matthew 17. Let's read our verses. Two of them today. Now while they were, sit- now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into, hand- into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. Our title of our message today, give me a moment please, His character is love. His character is love. So we opened up, verses 22-23, what did we see? He's back in Galilee. If you remember correctly, the Bible talks about how he did mighty works in Galilee. That's where he did the thrust of all that he did was in Galilee. And here they are again gathered in Galilee and he gives them this news of his end again. Okay. Now we see the first loving aspect of God's character here in the fact that Jesus Christ tells his disciples again that what his end is going to be. And in fact, he not only says it here, He says it five times specifically. These five things specifically. He speaks about these things that he just spoke here in Matthew 17, 22, and 23. Five times. He speaks about them in Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 17, 22, 23 here. Matthew 20, 18. Matthew 26, 24. And Matthew 26, 45. As well as, now we have these. But we also have other references all throughout Matthew's gospel of him speaking about just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall be the Son of Man, and, and you know, so on and so forth. And he made references in even John about, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, as, as well as countless others recorded in Scripture that he brings up the fact of his terrible, terrible end. And you may be sitting there thinking, Pastor Ed, How is this? How is him telling people about his end? How is him telling his disciples about his end a characteristic of his love? How does it show us God's character is love? Well, I believe that we find God's love, Christ's love for us, for his disciples, in the fact of why he did it. 
I believe he did it for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons we're going to focus on this morning is the why he did it for love. I believe that one of the reasons he did it was that so that his personal disciples could, could and would be ready for his demise when it happened. We see their difficulty in Scripture right here. Look at verse 23. And they were exceedingly sorrowful after he told them. We see all throughout Scripture. Remember Matthew 16, 21. Jesus says the same thing. What happens? Peter pulls him off to the side and says, Jesus, Lord, don't be saying that. Peter actually rebuked Jesus. He was having such a hard time dealing with the fact of Jesus being taken away with them, or taken away from them, excuse me. And why did they struggle with this news? Why did Jesus want to prepare them, if that's the truth? Why? Well, think on these things. Jesus was their master, okay? Jesus was their Lord. I want to paint this picture for you. Almost all the 12 had to give up humongous things in their lives to follow Jesus. Some of them were fishermen for their families. Others were tax collectors. Others were, you know, Paul, look even on, into the 13th disciple, you could say, or the 12th that replaced Judas, I believe. Even though it was Matthias, I think it was, I think it was Paul. Paul gave up his Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He gave that up. All these men gave up great things to follow Jesus. Now, not necessarily they weren't great how we would think of them great, but they gave up their livelihoods. They gave up their the, how they made money. They gave up living out the family business as Peter and his brother and James and John stopped being fishermen, which was to follow in their father's footsteps. These are tremendous things. Think about it right now. If some man came up to you and you're making a livelihood and you have a house and you have a family and you, you know everything is right, and then all of a sudden he says, hey, leave all that and follow me. And that'd be a difficult thing. Oh, that'd be a real difficult thing. Well, you mean, uh, how, how am I going to support my family? Oh, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Come, follow me. So these disciples had given up a great deal to follow Jesus. So think about it like this. For them to lose the one for whom they gave up everything in their personal lives to follow, well, that to put it mildly, that would be utterly devastating. I just gave up everything to follow you. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to be taken away from me? Huh? I, I, I left everything to follow you. And, and now, now you're going to be taken away from me? Well, of course, Jesus, knowing all things, knew they would be utterly devastated. And they, he wanted to, because of his love for us, because of his love for them, he wanted to prepare them for the fact that he would be taken away from them. And that's why he reiterated it so many times. Unfortunately, Scripture shows us, you can look to Scripture, that it didn't work. Unfortunately, the disciples, after Jesus was taken away, what happened? They hid. They were afraid. They were in rooms locking their doors so that they wouldn't get, you know, they wouldn't get persecuted by the religious leaders of the day. They had no faith when women came to them and they, they said, Jesus is alive. We said, we've been to the tomb. It's, it's, it's stones roll away. He's gone. Oh, women, you're crazy. They ran and they looked, but then they, they saw, they still didn't believe it didn't work. Unfortunately, but regardless of how they took it, 
regardless of how they reacted, regardless of how much faith they actually had on it, Jesus still told them plenty of times of his terrible coming event because of his love and concern for them so that they could be ready. But you know, the even cooler thing than this is that we don't just see this with the disciples, at least I don't, because I see God still doing this today. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus and God, they never, ever, ever change. Okay? I had a very devastating situation happen to me about two or three years ago. And right before this devastating situation happened, I remember the words to this day. God spoke to me one day when I was in my car. When I was, everything couldn't have been any better. Ministry was great. Family was amazing. God was good. Brothers and sisters love and everything was awesome. I was doing a lot of work for the Lord. And God speaks to me in my car one day and he says, the rain's coming. The rain is coming. Well, I first misunderstood it. I thought, well, rain, that's a good thing, right? When rain comes, it's healthy for the land. All right, things are going to get better. Oh, praise God. Well, it was shortly after that that some devastating things happened and some falling aways happened and some falling outs happened and some turning of backs happened. And before I knew it, I was drowning and the rain had fallen and I was just suffering in this torrential downpour in this miserable storm that I was in. But you know what? Even though I wasn't ready for it, just like the disciples weren't ready for it. I keep going back, as the scripture records too for the disciples. As the years have gone on, as the time has gone on, and as the hurt, as God has helped me through the hurt and the pain of the devastating situation that I went through, God always brings me back to when I start doubting. Well, Lord, I, why did it all happen to me? Why did all that bad stuff have to happen to me, Lord? Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? And he says, remember I told you the rain's coming. Remember I told you. The rain is coming. So you know I warned you before he'd speak to me. And he'd tell me the rain is coming. Well, the, the scripture records that the same thing happened with the disciples. Afterwards, the disciples were questioning. And, and, and then they would remember, oh, after he was resurrected, they would remember, oh yeah, he, he did say those things. And so God is still comforting people today when utterly devastating things are going to happen For his children, God forewarns and helps us and comforts us by giving us these soothing messages that he, like he gave to me, the rain's coming. Even though it was a bad thing that was coming, he still warned me that it was coming so I could be ready and I could go back to that and be comforted through the terrible times that came. When things have gotten rough for me spiritually and mentally, God will always take me back to that word, the rain is coming. And I have been comforted time and time and time and time again. So I hope you can see the aspect of God's loving character in the fact that Jesus warned his disciples over and over and over and over again of the devastating thing that was coming upon him. But we're not done yet. There's actually some more. But to get to it, we have to look at a kind of a funny aspect of God in this week's scripture. This week's kind of all about aspects of God. Mostly it's love, but then there's a funny one that we have to throw in here too. What could you be saying is a funny aspect about Jesus here? Come on, Pastor Ed. You just said that Jesus just gave the disciples some utterly devastating news that was going to happen to them. How in the world, where where in the world could we see some funny news about Jesus in this scripture? Well, I'll show you. Look back to our scripture. 
Matthew 17, 22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Well, if I were to tell you, hey, uh, son, uh, mister, sir, lady, hey, it's about to rain. What goes through your mind? It, it's about, oh, you would immediately look to the sky and say, oh, where's, oh, oh yeah, the rain's right there. Because when you hear the word, it's about to, what do you think? It, it's going to happen like right now. It's going to happen like soon, right? And that's what I would think. That's what people told me. I looked up, oh, yeah, oh, and I'm expecting it like relatively quickly to happen. Well, I want to show you something. He tells his disciples this here in Matthew 17, verse 22. And he introduces this concept to his disciples in Matthew 16, 21 and 22. But I want to let you know that you can go to your scripture and you can find this too. That the actual fulfillment of this scripture didn't even start happening until Matthew 26, 47. And, the, and, and, and it didn't end until the end of chapter 28. And in case you're looking at like a, like a chronology there, like a, you know, like a time what, what, would, how, what kind of time would this be? Well, this is over a year before it was going to happen. Jesus told them here twice, well, about over a year before this is going to happen. And he says, I'm about to go and be crucified and I'm going to be raised the third day. We see a funny aspect to God here in the fact of what? In the scripture and in its fulfillment, we see that God and Christ have a different perspective on time than we do. We see this throughout scripture. God has a different perspective on time. In Noah's day, Genesis 6, 5, and 7, God says this. Then the Lord, said, uh, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Well, as you're reading the scripture, even up to that point, you can just feel God's heart in, I'm done. I am done with man. They're evil, continually evil. I'm done. I, I, I can't wait to do this thing. Man is so wicked. I just man, I just, why did I make them kind of a thing? Almost like God having a sorrowful heart. And him speaking there almost sounded like he couldn't wait to just bring this flood and destroy the inhabitants of the earth. Yet, what do we see in scripture? He calls Noah, the only righteous man in all the earth, to build this ark. But God doesn't actually destroy the earth for about a hundred years. And you may be saying, what? How do we know this? Where does the scripture show us this? Well, we see it in Noah's age. You see, in Genesis 5.32, it says that when God called Noah, he was only 500 years old. But he didn't destroy. Noah did not go onto the ark, and the, God did not shut the door until Genesis 7.6, where Noah was over 600 years old, or about 600 years old, excuse me. So God speaks this, I'm going to do this thing, I got to do this, I can't wait to destroy this man, evil intentions, yet he waits a hundred years to destroy the earth. It's very easy to see God has a different perspective on time than we do. 
We go to the end of the book. Revelation 22, uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses 7 and 12. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Jesus is speaking to the church, you could say, or John. Behold, he says, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And in 22, 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Well, the word quickly in Greek is tachy, and it's defined as quickly speedily, without delay. Well, chronology in this time here, John was standing in heaven when God, when Jesus spoke this to him and the disciples or, or the church, you could say, and that was around 98 AD. So that's when Christ spoke these words to John, 98 AD. Okay. Well, today it's August, <coughs> excuse me, 2014 AD. And Christ still hasn't returned. Yet, he's coming quickly. He's coming without delay. It's easy to see that God's perspective on time is completely different than ours. Why is his perspective on time different than ours? Just so you know, God's mindset, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that they are not yet done. Simply put, God sits outside of our time. God's, we have, we're like in like this time bubble here on this planet. I'm, this creation is in like this time bubble. God sits outside this bubble. Think about it like this. God's eternal. Has no beginning and no end. We are very temporary. Our time is very temporary. Think of like a little bubble, you know, a, a little blip. Think about, you know, one sentence in a book, one page on a book, and then you close that book and put it down. Well, what are we? Pretend this is the book. And if we close the book, we're outside the book. But we can go into the book, and we can go from the beginning of the book, and we can go to the end of the book, and we can see every single thing that's going to happen from the beginning to the end. That's how God sees our time. He sees it. He stands outside of this book, outside of this blip, and he looks at our time almost like it's a book. Oh, A to Z. Oh, I can see everything. So time to him is just like this book. Beginning to end. I can see it all one moment. Okay. Peter perhaps helps us wrap our minds around this God sitting outside of our time in 2 Peter 3.8. But he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In essence, whether a day or a thousand years, from his perspective, he sees them all in one frame or one dot. Whether 24 hours, which is one day, or 760,000 hours, all are just in one page of one book or one line of one book. And I praise God that, guess what? He holds all of our days, all of our time in the palm of his hand. And you know what? Going back to that perspective on love, since he does that, since he knows the future, and since he knows the past, he can warn us and he can advise us on how to live our lives, warning us of dangerous times to come, warning, of, warning us of problems to come, so that what? We can, you know, he can love us and he can show us that he cares for us. 
So I praise God that he has all time in the palm of his hands. So although God and Jesus operate outside of our time and have a different perspective on our time, as Jesus and God just showed us and they gave us in Scripture as those examples we looked at, believe it or not, God and Christ still operate in our time with us and right alongside of us, and our time actually affects them. How you may say, well, God is outside of time, but he's in time too? Well, yes. Remember, about 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh came into our time. And what happened? He came into our physical realm, into our physical time, and he became a human being for 33 of our bound physical years. And our time affected him. We read throughout scripture that our time affects God even outside of Jesus. There was There were parables, there were things that Jesus said that related to the fact that God is affected even by our time, even though he sits outside of our time. But now, there's one other thing, another aspect of God I want to look at today about his love. In every example of God's different perspective on our time, he made it sound like it was going to happen kind of soon, but it didn't happen, and the reality in our physical time was it, it was a long time out. It was a long time coming. Remember, Jesus gives his warning to the disciples, sounding like he was going to be crucified soon over a year later. God says, I'm going to destroy the earth in Noah's day, sounding like he just can't wait to do it. Yet it's about a hundred years later. Jesus says in Revelations twice, Revelation, excuse me, twice, I'm coming quickly. Yet it's it's almost been 2,000 years and he's still not come. And I know that God sits outside our time. But it does seem as if he works very slowly. And just because he has a different perspective on our time doesn't mean that he has to work slowly in our time, does it? I mean, look, he made creation in six literal days. He spoke the earth. He spoke creation in six literal days, and it happened like that. He doesn't have to work in 100 years. He doesn't have to work in, he has to wait 2,000 years to come, you know, after he said he's going to come. And you may be saying, well, you know, Pastor Ed, Peter does say one day equals a thousand years. Well, back up a little bit. A lot of people make that mistake. Peter does not say that one day equals a thousand years. Look at what he says. He says one day is as a thousand years. But he also says one thousand years is as one day. What does that make it? It makes all time to God relative. God doesn't think of time like we think of time. It's all relative. He looks at a thousand days because they're all in that one book, remember, just like he looks at one day in that book. They're all right there. Perfect. And it doesn't matter. They're all relative to him. So if time is relative to God, why does it seem like God seemingly works very slow in our time when he could work in an instant? He could just do things and speak things and they could happen. He could say, you know, I want to destroy the earth and boom, it could happen. I'm going to come and boom, he could come tomorrow. Jesus said, I'm about to be and then boom, he could have done it tomorrow. Well, in this seemingly working slowly, we find that the scripture tells us yet again that it's because of his loving character is why he seemingly, to us anyway, works slow. Look at these scriptures. 2 Peter 3, 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. That word slackness there is like a slowness, like a slothness. And Peter's acknowledging the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. See, how we think of, God, you're working kind of slow. But here's why. 
but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and he says just a few verses down, 2 Peter 3.15, he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom, gave to him as he has written to you. So we see here that God's seeming working slow is his patience and his waiting for us because he has a loving character. First Peter 3, 18-20 uh, tells us that even in the days of Noah, while God waited a hundred years, well, I'll just read you the scripture. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine, listen how Peter speaks about God, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, ooh, there's that hundred years of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved. And what was Noah doing maybe those hundred years while he was building this ark? Peter tells us again in chapter 2, verse 5, he calls him a preacher of righteousness. What does that mean? Noah was preaching God's salvation the whole time he's building this ark. I just picture it in my mind. People are coming. The Bible had said that it hadn't rained on the earth up to that point yet. So all these wicked people on the earth that God said were wicked and I can't wait to destroy, they're all looking at this Noah building this boat. And they're like, what are you doing, Noah? It's not even rain. What are you building? He's building this boat in the middle of land. He's not building it on the water. There were oceans and there were seas, but he's building it on land. Well, as they're coming, well, this is a great evangelistic opportunity. The people are coming to me. Hey, God's going to destroy the earth with a flood. God's going to bring rains and he's going to destroy the earth with a flood because he was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2.5. So even in Noah's day, God through Noah was preaching and reaching out to the people that were wicked, that God was about to destroy. And God waited a hundred years, and only people that got saved were Noah's whole family, just eight people. Him, his three sons, and their four wives all together. So God's seeming slackness, like we see in our scripture today, Matthew 17, 22 and 23, how it was love for the disciples to wait, to give them, make them prepared, so his seeming slackness or slow working in our time is really him being long-suffering and loving towards us, hoping that mankind will turn to him for salvation. His character really is love towards all people. Wow. 1 John 4.8, no surprise to John, God is love. From repeatedly letting, know, letting his disciples know that he was going to be taken away from them to his seemingly working slow, uh, in our time slowly, his love, his character is always loving. But I could stand here all day and I could speak to you about God's love and I could tell you all day long how much God loves you. From, from now till tonight to tomorrow, I, we could speak on God's love. And you know what? His love is absolutely amazing. But I will tell you this, unfortunately, just like in Noah's day, just because God loves us, 
Just because God so loved the world, Jesus said in John 3.16, doesn't necessarily mean anything. <gasps> what did you just say, Pastor Ed? Yes, just because God loves us doesn't necessarily mean anything. Why? Because His love means nothing if we don't decide to love Him in return. If you have this young man and this young woman, this young man has eyes for this young woman. He says, man, I really love her. I really want to be with her. I want to marry her. I want to have a family with her. Oh, she is so precious. She's such a sweet soul. I love her so much. I, I, I love her. I don't even know her. I, I want to know her. I just, let me walk up to her. I just got to get to know her. And, you know, maybe we can start seeing one another. Maybe we can go on a date. I really want to get to know her. And she walks up to the, or he walks up to this young lady and he says, young lady, what is your name? I really like to get to know you. You, I've, I've, I've been watching you for a while and you have such a sweet personality and maybe they're in college together. In the same classes, high school, same classes. And he speaks to her and she says, oh, that's, that's nice. And, and she turns and she says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And she walks away. Then he comes up the next day. He's really he's bound and determined. He's desperate. He's like, I got to get to know this young lady. She is so pretty and she's got such a nice personality. Hey, young lady. Maybe you learned her name, Mary. Hey, Mary. Can we talk, please? I'd like to get to know you. He said, you know, can we talk? Oh, I'm, I'm really busy. Sorry. And he goes on this and he does this for weeks on end. And every day she keeps turning around and she keeps walking away. Well, after a while, the fellow's going to go, you know, I don't really think she likes me. In fact, she doesn't even really want anything to do with me. But, but I love her so much. You see, in that analogy, if the young lady doesn't respond to the young man's love, the young man's love is useless. Just like our relationship or a relationship with God. The Bible says that God is reaching out to people. He's drawing people. Jesus says, I will be, and when I am lifted up, speaking about his crucifixion, I will draw all men to myself. So God is reaching out to you and me every single day with his love, his constant forgiveness, his constant love. But it means nothing if we do not love him in return. Because God loves you is only one piece of the equation. If 2 plus 2 equals 4, but you don't have the second 2 in there, and you just have 2 plus equals, you don't have a problem. Because you only have 2. It's only when you have 2 plus 2 that you have to figure out the problem. See, it's the same in God's kingdom. I hope through all that we've talked about today, I hope you can see the things that we've talked about and the things that I've shown you, that you can see how much God loves you. Or maybe you've already known how much God loves you. Maybe you've already known. You've been hearing it from a little boy or a little girl. God loves me. Pray, oh, that's so awesome. God's love. God loves me. That's awesome. But either way, whether you knew it or whether you just figured it out today, there's a million-dollar question that we need to ask ourselves today, and that's this. Have we made the decision to love God in return according to the way that he says that he wants to be loved? 
A lot of people in our world today think they love God. But then when I've asked them, well, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean? What does God say? How do we love God? How do you love God? Well, God loves me and, you know, keep his commandments. Or, or just whatever they'll say. But they don't say one thing. They don't say what this book says on how God says, I want you to love me. So how does God say that he wants to be loved according to his word? Because if somebody comes to you and you want to be loved in a certain way, let's say that uh, your favorite food is uh, cheeseburgers. And you really dislike fish. You could even say you hate fish. But the person that you're with or the girlfriend that you're with or you're you're married, your wife continually makes fish for you. She's not loving you. She's not showing you love according to what you love. And you tell her every time, honey, I don't like fish. I don't like that food. Don't make it for me ever again. I don't like it. But every day, she makes it for you. Well, she's not loving you according to your likes. Well, God has likes and loves, and God has dislikes, and he has, dis- or he has dislikes and he has hates. He says he hates sin, amongst other things. So how does God say that he wants to be loved in his word? Again, Jesus speaks from the cloud, Matthew 17, 5. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. God now says I want to be loved through my son. If you obey him and you trust in him and you put your hope in him and by obeying him, this is how I want you to love me. And how does Jesus say that he wants us to love him and God? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. A lot of people get that mixed up. He's not talking about God's Ten Commandments. He's talking about the things that he said to do. He's saying, make a decision to start obeying my teachings and my ways and put your trust in me because that's all he ever talked about in his word. Obeying the things that I tell you to do. He told people the starting place in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. He says this. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take himself off the throne. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. Take yourself off your throne. I'm not going to be the ruler of my life anymore and put God on the throne of your life. Take up your cross. Decide, I'm not going to live in the flesh and I'm not going to live for the sinful life anymore. Take up your cross. There's only one reason that people took up a cross in Jesus' day and that was to go die on it. And then follow after me. What does that mean? Do the things which I told you to do. Keep my words, he says. Keep my words. God loves us. But God expects from his love toward us that we respond and take him up on his offer and come to him. My hope is that you consider the love of God that I spoke about to you today and the things that we saw here in this, this, these two little verses. I never would have thought that I would have been able to speak for, I don't know, whatever it's been, 40 minutes on the love of God and all this through just these two verses. But you know, God is amazing. And I hope today as you really think, I really want you to think about God's love 
for you and what he gave up for you and what he did for you. And hopefully as you think of this amazing love, you will realize that because of your sinful ways and the life that you've lived in sin, that you don't deserve it. Because there's no way anybody can deserve the love that God has for us. There's no way. We're sinful. We are evil people at the core, so we don't deserve it at all. We have all sinned, the Bible says. We all deserve to be judged by God, the most righteous judge of all the earth, on our sins. So we don't deserve His love. But He says, I offer it to you anyway. And because of your sin, and because of your evil, I'll make an atonement for you. And His name will be Jesus Christ. But now... I want you to love me in return. Start following my son. All you have to do is respond to his reaching out for you today. Put all your trust in him and decide to take yourself off your throne. Deny yourself. Let God have control of your life. Pick up that cross. Start saying, I'm not going to live in my ways, for my ways anymore. I just, I just, you know what? I'm tired of living like this. I, I, Jesus... I live for you now. And then follow after him. Make a decision to say, I'm not gonna I'm gonna follow the words and the writings of Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna let him be my Lord instead of me being my own Lord. And respond, please respond. God's reaching out to us all today. Respond to his love and cry out to him. God save me. I don't want to live this way anymore. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God for the love and the character of love that you have for us. Lord, you're all up, everything about you is love. Your character, your heart, every... If, the, if you're made of atoms, Lord, which I doubt, uh, whatever you exist of, Lord, the Spirit, Lord, you, all of you is love. Lord, thank you so much for your love and the great sacrifices that you made for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's why you, that we sing those songs, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, it is amazing grace that you would love us that much and we don't deserve it. And yet you reach out anyway. You say, I love you anyway. Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, you constantly are reaching out for us because you love us. Lord, I just pray, Lord, whoever's listening today, would just hear the words that I spoke in your scripture and see your love for them. And Lord, I pray that they would respond today by the only thing that they could give you, Lord, because your word says you own everything. Cattle on a thousand hills, you own space and time and everything that exists. And the only thing you don't own, Lord, is you don't own us because we give, you gave us our free will. We could do whatever we want with our free will. We could live for ourselves or we could choose to live for you. And I pray, dear God, that many today, or whenever they hear this message, Lord, would hear your love for them and decide that today is the day they're going to start to live for you and die to themselves. God, I love you. We love you, dear God, all of us. We sit here and we love you so much. And we praise you. We thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.